Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. I'm Marion Manneker, and we're going to explore the mysteries of the global art market. This is a special edition of the Artelligence Podcast brought to you by Christie's Education New York, where art history meets the art market. One of the growing themes in the luxury market has been the increasing interdependence between art and artists on one hand and the world of fashion on the other. My guest, the program director for Christie's Education New York, explores the historical roots of this relationship, the need for brands to locate themselves in the new, how art relieves some pressures on retailers, and why she follows Mucha Prada's advice on artists. Uh, Marissa Kayam, thank yes. you for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you for inviting me. So you run a course at Christie's Education on the confluence of art and fashion. Um, I'd like to, when we get further into it, sort of talk about what the course actually um, covers. But I'd like to get from you in the beginning just a sense of why, what provoked you to put together mm -hmm. uh, this course. I just think that being present in the contemporary art world, there seemed to be a proliferation of artists collaborating with designers. And while there is historic precedent for this, it seemed that there was even more uh, collaboration done, not only at the high end of kind of high fashion, but also with H&M and Alex Katz and Jeff Koons. And so one thing we like to do at Christie's Education is when there is something novel or something that seems to be happening within the art world is to start to investigate it in some way, um, bringing together not only the art historical context for such things, but also bringing in some of the professionals that are dealing with this new space of collaboration between art and um, fashion. So why do you think it is there's suddenly been, and, and you're right, it's sort of everywhere you turn. Yeah. It seemed to start a few years ago with LVMH doing those specific bag collaborations. And right. We know that Marc Jacobs is a fairly prominent collector, um, a number of other uh, designers, Valentino, Yves Saint Laurent, right. were very big art collectors them, themselves. But the LVMH was one of the first places we saw prominent artists and a fashion brand begin to collaborate, and then it seemed to spread into fashion shows on one side, and yeah. as you just described, these sort of um, street fashion or cheaper uh, uh, lines. Uh, I suppose we should mention Supreme in all of this, given the yeah. number of artists who've been involved in making decks for their skateboards or t-shirts and all of that. I mean, I think there's a variety of reasons as to why it's happening. One thing that very much interests me is, um, that's collaboration has become a kind of catch-all for anything that combines art and fashion. And I do think it's important to realize that there are cases where it's merely appropriation of an artist's work. And then in other cases, like with Louis Vuitton and Murakami and, and all of those collaborations that went when um, Tom Ford actually was the head, are real collaborations, meaning that you have a designer and your artist and you actually make something new, right? So. And to me, those seem to be the ones that are most successful. What does the luxury brand get out of commissioning artists to do works as collaboration or appropriation? Obviously, I think they get the kind of the freedom or the avant-garde status. Um, I, I have always thought it was more, you know, the, the cycle of fashion stopped a few years ago. 
right? You know, we used to be very, very uh, attuned to periodizing either hemlines uh, right. going up and down, lapels getting larger right, right, and right. Or, but there were very much styles for periods. And one of the things everyone's talked about since uh, around 2000 is that sort of everything is current all the time. Right. And it's felt like one of the things fashion has done to deal with that and the, the acceleration of their own product cycle is to look to things like artists right. to come up with distinctive objects that are somewhat, um, I don't want to say transient, but you know, time-bound. You know, time-bound and new. I mean, both fashion and contemporary art are tied to what is new and what's going to be even more new the next time. And I think that brings up an interesting issue as well, because when you think of these brands and how you mentioned that so many luxury brand labels, the people are also collectors, right? So you have the Prada Foundation, um, you know, Louis Vuitton, all of these foundations that are associated with Pinot with luxury brands. Um, when you think about it, it's also not just art that they're interested in. They are specifically interested in contemporary art and emerging artists. So that they're, it's not like in the tradition of Yves Saint Laurent, who was actually a great kind of old-fashioned collector, right? These are brands that are in search of the new and constantly bringing in something new, whether it's sellable or not, um, to identify their label with. So I do think, I think that's a really good point. I also just think that the space between art and fashion has disintegrated. And what I mean is, in some ways, and you had mentioned this to me too, in terms of just boutique design, that um, fashion especially with the internet, right? These retail spaces are no longer for retail. You know, they're almost show pieces, a statement of it's the- It's the experience. It's, it's a, definitely about the experience. And when you go to fashion shows as well now, they're no longer just for the professionals. As people have said, they've turned into a kind of performance art. And when you go to art fairs, those aren't necessarily about art anymore. They're about commodity. And so all of these spaces in some ways where fashion, you know, that used to be kind of much more territorial, you know, even Jay-Z at Pace, you know, it's like, what are these spaces? Do we see them merely as art or fashion or commerce spaces or have these spaces just become kind of commercial, cultural mixes in some way? So how do you teach that? What, what's the the course look like? Uh, is it done historically? Or well, we do do it historically. I mean, um, obviously, we're by trade art historians, so um, we're much, we come at it from the art perspective in a lot of ways. Um, so we do do some historical, you know, just like um, Scaparelli and Dali, um, you know, this isn't something necessarily new. Um, and uh, Shop Scaparelli worked quite a bit with the Surrealists and Dali making lobster dress and the hat. I mean, what's interesting about that and why people pinpoint that is that was a true collaboration and both thought of themselves as artists. But what I also think is interesting is that the women who wore something like the Scaparelli dress or so forth were elite women. And therefore, there's less of that sense of is it fashion, is it art? Because the same women who were 
behind surrealism. It's the same with like Peggy Guggenheim and Calder. Like I don't think they thought, oh, I'm wearing artworks designed by jewelry, art designed, fashion designed by an artist, right? It's just kind of was all a part of this culture, right? I think what happens the high culture. That, high, that, right. That high new... culture. And I think one thing people often talk about the um, Jackson Pollock images in Vogue that were done by um, Cecil Beaton. Oh, I didn't know that Cecil Beaton. Yeah, that, so he, a lot of times in terms of this kind of fashion art collaboration, people bring that up. And Cecil Beaton did a series um, with some Pollocks in the background. I think it was at Betty Parsons Gallery. And then these very beautiful women in these kinds of she, you know, suits and sheaths in front of it. And art historians since then, and even at the time, criticized that quite a bit because it was seen as feminizing and turning the Pollock into decorative work. And I think what's more interesting than the actual images themselves is the reaction to the images. Because I think starting with that kind of high modernist period in the United States where it was believed that art was in the sanctified realm, separate from commerce, right? Yep. Um, which we didn't necessarily have in the 20s and 30s and even before with the Bauhaus. Like you believed in a complete work of art and artists could be doing many things. But the reaction to those photographs as seen as demeaning Pollock's kind of greatness, turning this into a decorative, feminizing the masculinity of this American ideal, is something that we carried with us, I think, as a culture for a long time, that fashion was commercial and art was not. Today, you know, art is commercial. <laughs> oh, the other way around. It almost feels like the fashion is attracted to um, the borrowed interest of art. It's a way of elevating these ephemeral objects, uh, especially in the boutique uh, yeah. aspect of it. Since you can get your um, Chanel in a number of different ways at a trunk show, right. you know, online, calling someone up who's your, your salesperson, per making the boutique a, uh, a chapel that's with right. a unique piece of art, and then it's an experience to go to that boutique. That's that's what you know the designer Peter Marino yeah, that's was right. so brilliant at, at doing is recognizing that you needed to create these spaces something um, irreplaceable or un, uncopyable about, about right. the unique. The, and unique in each place that they are. So you don't just visit the one in London, but you also visit the one in Shanghai. Between the architect and the commissioned artwork for the space. Fashion, or we could say shopping, in some ways becomes a and, kind of and, and being able to get into that boutique, the price of admission is buying those uh, uh, clothes. You don't get invited back, and you don't know the right place to go in the boutique to see the great pieces to be part of that conversation. Uh, it's actually funny that you mentioned the one in Shanghai. Uh, I was just uh, <laughs> recently reading the the book Crazy Rich Asians, which is a you know uh, meant to be a society novel uh, set in Singapore. Uh, it really could just be a Jane Austen no novel set uh -huh. in the 21st uh, century. But one of the themes is the constant obsession with designer clothes. And then a very faint sub-theme is the knowledge of and possession of just the right artworks. Right. Which brings up something interesting also when we talk about these luxury houses sponsoring so many artists, right? Um, is that it's easier to know what bag to pick for a lot of people than it is to know what art to pick. And so when Musha Prada shows certain artists 
and I know I like a Prada bag, in a way it, it validates that artist to a certain audience, I think. I, I don't know if people really, but it seems to me, I trust her <laughs> in some ways more so than I might even trust a curator, that I might not understand the art when I go to the Venice Biennale. But Prada, I kind of understand. So it's taste. a lifestyle brand. Yeah. It's, a, it's being able to go it's, to the Prada Foundation, and the artist you see there is part of the, the value added you get yeah, by participating in, the in Prada that Prada lifestyle. I mean, I actually think Misha Prada has a great eye, and I, I actually think the artists that she chooses are, are fascinating and, and really of great quality. It's not to demean that, but it's, it's, you know, it's that these luxury houses now are validating factors, much like curators were or critics are still, in a way. So I think that's kind of interesting as well. Well, certainly I would think more than critics because well, most of the people who are buying are not sitting down and doing a ton of reading. Uh, or they may still be doing a ton of reading, but it's n much more effective in a sense of cultural currency right. to be able to do things socially. And, and so much of the value of art is social. Uh, uh, and, and people, as you said, I think that's a sort of brilliant observation that, that they are much more comfortable with the fashion brands, that that becomes yeah. the portal into, into the art brands in some way. And vouchsafing these artists is part of what the brand does for you. Yeah. Uh, so that you, you, you are more attracted to the brand because it brings you into contact with Li Wufan or whoever. Right. I mean, I, I think what's interesting too, and Mr. Shigas being a little bit old, you know, 30, 40 years ago, we would have felt in some way that an artist's participation with such a commercial venture might lessen the quality or how they are perceived. And I don't see that happening so much. I mean, I see that in some ways it helps the artist, not only in terms of their audience, like we were just discussing, but you know, in a successful one like Murakami, um, or even um, Dan Buren for Louis Vuitton. I mean, that's a weird pairing, right? Like if you thought Dan Buren, this conceptual artist, like getting away from materialism, quite literally, is going to do a Louis Vuitton show, what does that mean? And yet, it was really probably one of the most successful collaborations that have happened. So, do you think it was because of the freedom of that, or because the 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 fashion show is a performance, uh, so it's uh, uh, much more like a um, a happening yeah. than people realize? I think that's part of it. I think also that the his work itself was planned for a specific space, so it was kind of customized in a way, much like a lot of his work. I think the graphics of Louis Vuitton are very much in line with the aesthetics of that kind of Buren, you know, aesthetic. Um, and I think it's also because they did something new. They didn't just paste Dan Buren, you know, it, was, it, it created a new kind of spectacle. This podcast is sponsored by Christie's Education New York. Christie's Education offers master's degrees and continuing education programs on all aspects of art history, art business, and the art market. Programs emphasize the importance of direct contact with original works of art and interaction with a network of artists and professionals to enhance students' exploration of the art world. Contact New York at christies.edu to schedule a meeting with an admissions counselor or faculty member 
or to tour the facilities. For details on their master's degree programs and for gainful employment information, visit christies.edu. I want to get back to, you mentioned uh, curators and uh, people from the fashion houses. Uh, and I want to get back to who you have come in. Oh, so we do, so as I said, so we do a kind of historical um, component. Um, and that goes not just to the artist collaborations, but also collectors too. As you said, a lot of designers aren't just collectors today, but historically have been collectors. Um, and then we actually wanted to invite in uh, people who are on the forefront of these kinds of collaborations. So we had an amazing visit with Dennis Friedman, who is artistic director at Barney's, um, who's done such a variety of types of collaborations um, at Barney's. I mean, Barney's in some ways, you know, is an artistic space. Uh, I, I think that I go to look at the windows at Barney's and I am exposed to not only new artists, but a new way of seeing art. Um, yes, it is a commercial space, but oftentimes Dennis Friedman picks artists that are like the least commercial artists <laughs> that he, you know, the most department expensive. Stores, department stores, uh, both in Asia and here yeah. in the U.S. in the in the 50s and, and later had art exhibitions. Yeah, and in the That's 19th century, too. It was a place of viewing and shopping and artwork was there. So. I do think that um, some of the most interesting curatorial work is actually happening in the windows of Barney's, and it's a, it's a really interesting space. I mean, Dennis Friedman talks about how a collaboration is most successful, or he spoke about this, when it does create something new. And I think that the variety of types, from video to ice sculptures, um, that he's created um, using Margaret Lee, in, in, the gal in the windows, you know, he talks about them as being, you know, he has five or six, you know, vitrines, yeah. vitrines yeah. quite literally. So um, I do think it's interesting. And, and, you know, sometimes there is a just kind of, you know, when they did the Alex Katz, that was more of a kind of just a branding. Um, in some ways, it's a microcosm of the multiple ways that uh, artists can collaborate with fashion and design. Um, you know, it's almost the other way around. I'm surprised that it hasn't accelerated even more. You know, I, I get why, you know, you'd want to do limited edition uh, LVMH bags. Uh, one, it, you know, it gives you something new that you're only selling br briefly and it's been touched by the artist, but it's also a unique series that, you know, especially with the vogue for vintage uh, handbags yeah. and the values, you're just, you're creating a, a, a limited edition series that will, most likely will only go up in, in, in value, which uh, you can't say about so many luxury goods. Oh, I think that's true. I mean, one, I do buy sometimes artist editions, and the reason for me is I can't afford buying the real thing. Um, and it is a really superficial way for me to have a part of something I want to be a part of. I was actually talking to someone today, and I said, I don't think it's much different than the way people collected prints in the past. It's an edition. Yeah. It's democratic. It's a little bit maybe cooler or different than a, a, a traditional print. Oftentimes, it's less expensive than a print. Um, do, but do you think the, the bottleneck is on the fashion side or the art side? And by that I mean, is it because there aren't enough artists with common currency? You were saying this earlier. For all the popularity of contemporary art, 
a lot of people don't know a bulk of the artists, what their work looks like, and have much familiarity with, with it. So it's very hard to get people attracted to something that they're not, at least, you know, has some uh, association in their mind. Well, that's what I'm curious about as well. So, like, when Hermes does a Tsuchimoto scarf, like, how many people, and he's still a big name, but there's other names that are that they've used that are much, you know, smaller, less well-known. How many people are buying that because, you know, Tsujimoto's not, like, he doesn't have, like, a... Well, ideally, you would be buying it because you thought it was beautiful and different, and the a fact that you don't know who the artist is is, is, is the excitement of it. It's discovering something uh, uh, new, and that's part of what I can't really tell with the, that bottleneck, whether it's that, that not enough fashion companies are trying these th things or that there's not enough artists that have the currency. So there are, the thing is, is that there are companies that are using artists that aren't kind of not only household names, but even names that a lot of contemporary fans even know. Um, Prada and Christopher Shemin just did those collages. Sonia Raikel and Ma Maggie Cordelis. You know, these aren't names that everyone's going to know automatically. And I don't even know if Sonia Raikel buyers would actually know who it is. Sometimes I wonder if it's, you know, it's like so much a kind of marketing campaign, right? It's like people want their collections to be written about. What better way for a collection to be written about than it's something new with the collaboration, which goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's the new with the new. Right, uh, and and that allows it to have a kind of angle. So uh, the other side of it, uh, I'm curious about is uh, fashion photography. Mm. There was a period not so long ago, and the photography market has sort of fallen into somewhat of a disarray mm -hmm. uh, recently. But where the great fashion photographers were being viewed as and collected as artists, many of them, because they're great yeah. ar artists in their own right, Penn, Avedon, I mean, mm -hmm. the, uh, 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 inarguable, uh, have a great eye, but also that their fashion work in itself, um, I suppose we should put Helmut Newton in that category sure. uh, uh, as well. Um, and, and I just want to talk about, is that come into this, or is that a separate sideline, not relevant? This to did stuff? not really come, it's not really relevant to what this course is about, though I do think a fashion photography course is something um, that's of interest as well, how it has been until recently sidelined, not only with collectors, but even within the museum um, and photo curators. Certainly, Avedon and Penn have been collected, but there's a whole range of uh, commercial photographers that uh, have fallen out of the kind of traditional photo history as we see it because their work has been seen as being commercial. What I think, what I think is different now and, and why is not only do you have people like Cindy Sherman doing ad campaigns um, and other, uh, uh, Philip Delorc, of course, you know, other great photographers that have been commissioned to do um, ad campaigns. Again, once again, blurring those lines because they're coming from an art tradition into the commercial tradition. But I also think that, you know, there's, people talk about this all the time in art history, you know, it's like the death of high modernism, right? And yeah. that it was, you know, with that, there is less of a stigma between high, low, commercial, museum. I mean, 
one thing we do talk about in this course is that fashion now in and of itself, not even in its collaboration, has a completely new museum audience, right? I mean, I was thinking the other day how, remember in 2001 when the Armani show was at the Guggenheim, it was like scandalous. And now it seems precious, right? It was like help funded by the Armani Foundation as well. And now if you look at the Met and you look at the exhibitions and who's funding them and who's, you know. It's part of why I was asking about the the fashion photography, right? Because uh, it, it still st strikes me as these are terribly um, recognizable and current images, uh, and I, I do understand that you know photography somewhat suffers from the, the Instagram effect and everyone having uh, taking all these pictures on their phones uh, and all. But as objects, they are they are quite uh, uh, striking. They are quite striking. I mean, just from a commercial sense, I think in part why they don't get they aren't of as interest is that the addition numbers are so much larger usually on those that the value of them never increases immensely. You know, if you think back, you know, and there are some great galleries that deal with the fashion images, but the addition sizes are, are quite large. There is a market for it, it's just it doesn't, the, the, the value of those objects have yet to increase so exponentially that it gets the attention of the well, I, I guess the reason I keep banging on about it is there was there's been so much uh, um, interest in vintage fashion over the well, last that's... two decades, and these are the documentation of uh, of vintage fa fa fashion, and not in some clinical no. lookbook way, but in a very artistic. No, uh, with its own history as well. I mean, the change in fashion photography and what it says not only about the clothes, but the aesthetics surrounding it. I mean, that's in some ways why that Cecil Beaton photograph is also so great, because it's not just about the art, but it's also about the fashion, and it's about how these women are posed, you know, against it's, these it's paintings. That's, yeah, I mean, that's right. A, a, a and and to even this. bring this up, the tradition of fashion photographers photographing women within galleries and museums is also a whole other you know, field that you could explore and what that means, because that has an incredible history as well. Beyond the commercial side with um, uh, a store like Bar Barney's, yeah. do you talk with the people at H&M uh, or the Supreme folks well, we, about how that, those collaborations work, which are a little bit off kilter from the, the luxury goods? Uh... We did have a talk with Carrie Leitzes, and she actually, um, you know, trained with Dennis Friedman, actually at W Magazine. And she is a really interesting collaborator because what she does, she sees herself as this kind of matchmaker. And it never happens seamlessly in some ways. She brings together artists and brands and helps to make those collaborations possible. So we did get uh, a talk from her as well, talking about how those collaborations come through and that when it is a successful one, it really is a dialogue between both the brand um, and the uh, and the artist. And I believe she's done quite a bit of work with Target um, as well. Um, to produce products. To, to, yeah, to artists, designer um, related products. Um, and how does that work? Is that driven by her putting two, you know, related uh, uh, pieces of information together. Target wants lunch boxes, and there's an artist who's always wanted to do a lunch box kind of thing. 
from what she said, it's like so many, you know, boutique kinds of collaborations. Each one is different, and each one happens differently. There's not a set way that these things actually happen, and I don't want to put words into her mouth, but that's the sense that I got. Um, but, you know, she has a great eye and um, is constantly aware of contemporary artists that are going on and also the needs of the uh, luxury brands as well. So I know one thing that she did, um, which was quite successful, is Rob Pruitt, who recently had the Barney's windows as well, um, he did a customized J brand, which is a jean, women's jean company, um, where even at Barney's you could customize the brands to be done by Rob Pruitt. Um, and I believe like in the store itself, there was him actually painting, you know, people's jeans. So we'd have a Rob Pruitt day, he'd show up at Barney's. Exactly, and... Rob Pruitt day. He also did things for Jimmy Choo. I mean, there's, there's so, when you say like, what if it's a brand that doesn't, you know, if the artist doesn't have, I mean, Rob Pruitt, Pruitt's yeah. pretty famous, but there's so many of these collaborations, it's hard to know what people are actually, who's buying for what purpose, right? What they're identifying with. With a fashion uh, house, uh, you don't have to rely on one collector buying. That's the, right. You can actually get those images out there and uh, it can be a project that d doesn't necessarily or shouldn't necessarily destroy the value of the of the original image. If you I agree. I mean, I, I completely agree. I mean, I know some people have other opinions about that, that it dilutes kind of, I don't know, I mean, if, if you think about it, like, would it dilute Bruce Nauman's work or when Barbara Kruger's I Shop There 4 AM gets put on a handbag, does it dilute it or does it just change the meaning of it, you know? Well, you have to ask, I think the art world has to ask itself what the definition of success is because we're, you know, value for objects is obviously important if you're an artist and certainly if you're a dealer mm -hmm. and, in, and in some cases not all if you're a collector. But the value of the image, which can't be measured in uh, a, a price, how familiar right. the image is, what kind of currency it ha has, and all. I mean, these are these are not new I ideas, but the value of that, in many ways, is is much more important to people involved in this project. And the kinds of social media and things that we have now make it possible for there to be very current images that are not necessarily. Uh, how, uh, uh, the value doesn't accrue to one single object. That's true, but but all of these things, whether it's social media or fashion and all of that, it it elevates a certain type of art, right? It's a certain type of art that can be successful on a handbag, a certain type of art that can be successful on Instagram, a certain type of art. And so in that way, it helps to, you know, make much more homogenous the contemporary art that we see, right? So if there is a, I mean, and that's why sometimes Barney's is so great because it's not just the easily apprehend. Sometimes I look at a Barney's window and I'm like, what am I looking at? And not only what does this have to do with clothes, but what does this have to do with art? You know, it's, it's challenging. There's very few art and fashion collaborations that challenge the viewer. And that could be seen as, you know, a little bit of a criticism of it being so prolific. But does that, does that sort of work uh, depending upon who's doing it? That, you know, you don't expect 
the handbag people to do something that's going to be challenging because the handbag's expensive and it's a handbag. Yeah. But, but the the skateboard deck yeah. uh, can be anything it damn well wants to be yeah. because it, it it's cheap, easy to produce. No, that's and, true. You know, the, the but there is a, it. there is, as you said, like this kind of emphasis on newness. There's also an emphasis on coolness. And there's a certain kind of cool art, like even just with that Gucci Ghost, for example, um, the street artist that now, you know, Gucci Ghost, I don't remember his street name, but anyways, it's Gucci Ghost, you know, seeing those Gucci symbols spray painted everywhere means one thing when it's like on a Brooklyn street, and it means something very different when the company appropriates this kind of image onto itself. And it does, it changes the meaning of these, you know. Yeah, but that's the same thing as uh, the, the, the Basquiat Samo or a totally, clown, completely. Uh, when it's on a t-shirt at Uniqlo Absolutely. or a barking dog on a sweatshirt. Absolutely, at, at although I would say there's a difference between a t-shirt in terms of its kind of democratic and uh, the luxury brands like a Gucci handbag. Not a huge difference, but there is there is something slightly Different. Do you not think so? Oh no, no. I, 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 I there ought to be. Yeah, because you're, <laughs> you're paying a hell of a lot more. <laughs> if you're spending a lot of money on a Gucci handbag, you, you and just feel where like those Gucci handbags circulate and the type of people they circulate, and you know that kind of thing, I think is different. What else do you teach in this course, or if we sort of go, you know, box? The, well, I mean, uh, we also one thing we always do at Christie's also is that we combine visits with. Um, uh, in-class kind of lectures. So we went down to Resurrection Vintage as well um, to look at some of the collectibles and to see really how a space like that isn't just, you know, your typical vintage clothing store, but is a very curated um, gallery space, you know, in many ways. And so that was a really interesting aspect as well. Um, um, but pretty much that's it. I mean, I think one way, one direction that we're going to go in the future with these fashion and art classes is I am very interested in the fashion as a collectible and building upon the idea of what that means and how one distinguishes between vintage and what is uh, worthy of a kind of historic collection. Um, I'm interested in all of the museum exhibitions that are happening around fashion. You know, one thing I also find interesting is that all these fashion houses do not support fashion exhibitions as much. I mean, they do when it's their own brand or the Met Gala, but what I mean is they their foundations are pretty much geared to contemporary art. You know, no one's like, you know, no one's reviving, you know, the couture sewing techniques of, you know, the 19th century. Yep. Um, and so I do think that's an interesting aspect as well, how there is a kind of who is doing that and what does it mean to do that kind of historical research. Um, so I think that's one way that we'll go. Um, and and who, who comes and takes this cl class? Is it people who... Uh, or this is sort of a, a kind of an, an evening class to uh, the, uh, as a continuing education kind of thing. They are they're... all continuing education courses that we do um, in the short course programming at Christie's, and our courses range. They can be two days. They can be a summer school for five days, a uh, full week, um, and some of our classes are just a couple hours. So, for example, we do a whole 
one thing we've just started is a whole uh, series on luxury, and um, which interests me quite a bit these days, just the kind of emphasis on luxury, um, both within the auction house and in the general marketplace. But so we'll do um, every sales season, we'll do something um, on watches, we'll do something on handbags, we'll do something on fashion, and we'll do something on jewelry. And those classes range from one that can be two hours to a full day. Um, we always do courses on the sales, which are a full day. We do things on conservation, which can run a couple days. There's a variety. There's something for everyone. We've covered all the sins of the world, and uh, everything uh, has been solved. Yeah. I, I look forward to the time. next time. Fantastic. Thank you. This has been a special edition of the Artelligence Podcast, brought to you by Christie's Education New York, where art history meets the art market. Thank you for listening to the Artelligence Podcast. Visit us at artmarketmonitor.com 